Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Darren Driver, the summer of 76 of the podcast. That was a hot summer and life's not as good now as it was then, for Leeds United finished fifth. And I'm joined today by John McKenzie, the summer of 95 of the podcast, that was a hot summer and life was not as good now as it is then for Leeds United finished fifth. And finally, the summer of 22 of the podcast, like the weather, he's hot, he's fiery, he's occasionally oppressive. Leeds United did not finish fifth this year. It's only Josh Hobbs. How are you doing, Hobbsy? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, mate. I was fortunate to be able to work in, in the basement for the majority of today, so I, I haven't found it found it as bad as uh, as a lot of people have done. Yeah, it, it has, in fact, almost killed me uh, a few, <laughs> quite a few times and and has ne- nearly resulted in me in killing other people on a couple of occasions too. But there we go. Just for the record, dear listener, this is the hottest day of the year, the, the day that you'll all remember for years that we're recording on. Uh, and we're all sat in, well, I'm sat in a third floor room, John's sat in a third floor room, I think, and Hobbsy seems to be lying by a pool with no shorts on and I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Um, John, how are you doing, brother? Yeah, I'm all right. I've had office aircon all day, but unfortunately I'm now at home in the the very rafters of my house mm. and it is absolutely sweltering here. It's sort of trying to rain outside right now, but uh, hopefully that'll bring the temperatures down. But right now, this is sauna levels of hot. Well, if you want to pay for discussions about the weather, um, you could um, you could join our brand new relaunched uh, Patreon. Hobbsy, tell us about the Patreon and the sort of things that are going to be on it, because you're taking a lead on it um, f- from from now on, which is one of the re- which, which is one of the reasons we've decided to relaunch it is because because you have decided that you've got a burning passion to make more videos about Leeds United. So tell tell us what your plans are for it. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm doing uh, a video per week. Primarily, it will be like individual player analysis from 
uh, either the most recent game or something that's cropped up a few times in in a run of games. Um, I'll I'll try my hand at some of the the tactical videos as as well here and there. That that was John's expertise in the past, but I'm gonna usurp him. <laughs> in the, no, I won't be as good as John in the tactical videos. That's selling it, Hobbsy. It won't, it won't be as good as it was, but give us your money anyway. <laughs> that's that's not what I mean. I'm just John is very very good at the tactical he, he videos. Is, he is. I think uh, yeah, I think the the video content's gonna be good, and we're gonna do. Um, we're going to be doing uh, two extra podcasts uh, a month as well, uh, and the lowest tier of the of the Patreon uh, is going to be just uh, this podcast, but ad free. So if you if you want this podcast, but you don't want to have it interrupted by some nonsense that's not our nonsense, uh, then yeah, join that. That will be just four pounds a month. So. Excellent. And and now now John's not the leader of the Patreon, shall we agree to do a Manscaped advert, which we turned down previously? <laughs> <laughs> um. I've never seen two men in more need of scaping than you two. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's true, it's true. Well, that's all, that's all very exciting, so please do sign up, um, dear listeners. It'll be really good to have you along for the ride, and if any of you were... were um, subscribers to our previous patreon you'll know you'll know what the score is you'll get loads and loads of really great content and um i'm really looking forward to seeing what hobsey puts out in the videos uh, going forward and i shall be involved um in the podcast side of things as well so it's going to be it's going to be a really really good uh, new package that we're putting together um okay good stuff um in in other news let's move on to thinking about um the transfer window a little bit so um jamie shackleton has has now followed charles charlie cresswell to millwall what what are your thoughts hobbsy because i know you were a big fan of shackleton for for a good long while and particularly in the championship days so how do you how do you feel and, and what are your thoughts about about what this means for his career and and all that kind of stuff yeah i've had to sort of give up my uh my dream of the shackleton run in the first team um <laughs> i think i think uh he had that little run of sort of four or five games early last season where he was playing more, but Leeds were not playing particularly well and he wasn't playing particularly well. And um, yeah, he he ended up, I think as per usual when he had a run in the team, I think he got an injury and, and fell out of the team and never really got back in it for the whole rest of the season. So I think him going out was the right thing for his career and I think... To be honest, I think a permanent a permanent deal was the right thing for his career. But for now, I think alone, if he can play regularly at a good level in the championship, he can sort of raise his stock and maybe get a better move next next season, perhaps. Um, it'd be interesting to see where they play him because I, I personally would like to see him played in midfield because I think his ball carrying in midfield would be a lot better. So one of the rumours that, that doesn't seem to want to go away this summer is, is the idea that Jack Harrison um, might be leaving or that some, some clubs particularly, I think Newcastle and Spurs, are very interested in, in taking Harrison. What do you make of that, John? Yeah, it's a funny one, really. I suppose Jack Harrison has always felt a little bit betwixt and between. We've seen a lot of people suggesting this season that we might play him as a left-back. I think we saw that for a bit against Brisbane Raw in the... Preseason friendly, and uh, I think it became quite clear why 
probably best not playing him as a left back in that respect. But the wing back position, I think, is sort of perfect for him, um, particularly at, at a club like perhaps Spurs. Um, so I can see why these teams are looking at uh, Harrison as a as an option. He obviously had a really good season last season as well in terms of his productivity. Um, so a lot of teams will be looking at him as a, I suppose, a cheaper option. I say to to get some productivity, but the numbers that we've seen flying around suggest that. Newcastle at the very least would be thinking of uh, offering a fairly big chunk and I think it feels as though the club are at a point where they're not wanting Harrison to go so they can entertain the idea of of pushing for a really high fee and if the fee hits a certain level then we will accept it Um, but I think it's at the the point that we're at we've had so many incomings and outgoings that a little bit of continuity would be uh, pretty important at this point. So it's one of those ones where I think if a certain fee is offered, then we'll accept it. But I think it would have to be a pretty high fee. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's where I'm at with Harrison. If the fee's big enough, then you just have to accept it. But um, that would mean that we're scrambling a little bit in the market to replace him. Yeah, and that raises a good point, actually, that I kind of wanted to come on to. Um, Hobbsy, how much churn is too much churn? Because we've, we've done a lot to the squad Um over this summer, we certainly brought a lot of people in and, and, and a few outgoings. Um, well, probably as many outgoings actually. Um, so, how how much churn is too much? Because it feels to me like like there's a, there's a chance that this this squad won't immediately gel uh, going into the new season, and that that might impact our start to the season. In terms of like pure numbers of what we've done, I would say that we probably are already at what you might consider to be too much churn but I think we're saved by the fact that Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson and Rasmus Christensen all know exactly what they're supposed to do in the system already so they don't have to adjust to the tactical system or anything like that although they might have to adjust to the difference of playing in the Premier League to what they're used to Um, but yeah I think like the players like Lewis Sinistera, he's not he's not played in the uh, in the tactical system before, and he's not played in a top five league before. Uh, and the Premier League is notoriously the hardest to come in and, and adjust to. Um, so you're already looking at a lot of uh, players coming in, and then we've lost what last season was our best attacker in in Rafinha. Um, Phillips was one of the the leaders of the team. Um, so yeah, there's there's already a lot going out. I think I'm like John, where you kind of in that situation where you're like, oh well, a good fee for Harrison. It, in the past, I would probably have been like, hey, if you get like thirty million for Harrison, that's incredible deal, and you'd be crazy not to take that. But I'm kind of in the position right now of thinking, I don't know if I want to lose a player that's put up reliable numbers looked one of our stronger players under Marsh uh, at the end of of last season and one of the players that was adjusting to the new system better. Do you want to lose that player when you might be able to get a player better than him in terms of pure ability for, for the money, but will they fit into the team straight away will they fit into the league straight away it's just there's a few too many unknowns already I don't know if I want to add another one especially when we're already adding another striker probably another left back like it's there's already more to be done without him 
Yeah, because I think you're right, Hobbs. It is all about context, isn't it? Because if without all that other information about what's happening in the window and the other deals we might need to do, if someone, had, like you say, if someone had said to you, Harrison, thirty million, yes or no, you would you would probably have said yes to that. But but given the context that he, you know, like like John said, he was he put out really good numbers last year. That he was, probably, I think, he was our second most potent attacker as per the numbers and and all the rest of that. I think it does does make it a much more much more difficult decision to to kind of make. Um, have you? Got any thoughts about how you'd replace Harrison, John? Would it would it be a, another sort of smart deal, another deal from the continent? Have, have you got any thoughts around how you'd do that? I have not got any thoughts on that. But just to come back on the context thing, I suppose the thing that I would say is that in terms of like his output last season, he was over overperforming his underlying numbers, uh, and so that probably inflates his both his interest to other clubs, but uh, also his value too. So again, like. I agree with Josh too that we don't want to make too many changes. Um, although I guess at this point, like, what's one extra change? But um, I, I do think that if I if we were offered like thirty thirty five million, uh, you're starting to have to ask serious questions about what's the opportunity cost of that of that value versus who he is. But it's just a difficult situation, really, and um, I suspect it probably won't come into fruition at all so um but yeah there's plenty of there's plenty of players out there the issue isn't finding the talent the issue is bringing them in being able to get the deal done in the short space of time and then as josh says like it's another player who needs to get up to speed with the new system and leeds have signed sonny perkins from west ham tell me about him hopsy perkins was one of the best attacking players in in premier league two division one uh, last season so uh, it's a coup for us, uh, given that he was already making some senior uh, appearances uh, for West Ham. Like he played a bit in um, in the Europa League. Um, he played. I, I think he made a Premier League appearance or two for them as well. Um, he's a versatile attacking player, which feels like that's like <laughs> that's our go-to thing uh, these days. We we love a player who's. A, who might be a striker, might be attacking midfielder. Um, he's kind of got the the build that's quite similar to Bamford, but just maybe not quite the upper body strength just yet. But he's sort of like tall and, and graceful with a, a good technical ability, but strong running power. Um, he can take the ball um, from wide areas or deeper central areas and drive with it and then create opportunities to shoot for himself or he can play on the last man as a striker back to goal running behind so it's quite a well-rounded attacking player there uh and uh yeah really nice finishing uh off off of both feet from inside and outside the box so i think he is not coming to leeds to move from being one of the best uh players in pl2 to play in pl2 division two um, for us in our under 21 so I would say he's coming to Leeds to be like a, a an option in any of the attacking positions um, but knowing that he will play Premier League two minutes as well but I think he he's been obviously sold the dream of the pathway um, so let, let's see what what happens because we know that the pathway wasn't always what it seemed uh, last season, perhaps. John, will the pathway materialise in front of in front of Sonny Perkins, or will it will it be a bit more of a, a stumble and a rocky path? It's hard to know. I think the thing with Jesse Marsh is that he is going to rotate 
and he is going to give youth a chance. And I suppose that that will correlate with how well it's going. If things go badly, he tends to be, in my opinion, a manager who sort of tweaks things around and tries to do things a bit differently. Uh, we saw that a little bit at the end of last season. Um, so, yeah, I don't see why he wouldn't bring someone like Perkins in if he feels as though he's at the level. Okay, cool. Any other business in terms of transfers or should we move on to talk about pre-season? There was just the rumour of um, of Martin Terrier um, from, I don't know if I just murdered his name, I'm sure John will tell me what, how he's supposed to say his name, um, but from Wren, uh, the uh, sort of second striker stroke left winger, um, but they're apparently looking for 40 million uh, for him, which... Uh, I think that might be 40 million euros, but that's a lot of money uh, for him. And he was a player that was very good last season, but I'm kind of not really sure where he would be fitting for us right now. But perhaps that's if something comes up a bit more with that, we'll talk about that properly. But just to mark that. Card marked? Indeed. Thank you. OK, let's let's start to think about um, pre-season. So, John, you wanted to talk about this. You said... Darren, I want to talk to you and Hobbsy about what preseason is for. So, John, he's going to do a sermon. <laughs> what is preseason for? I've put a tweet out before about the Manchester United preseason game because uh, at work I've been watching a few of their games just to get a sense of what Eric Ten Hag is going to do. And I, yeah, I put out a tweet saying, unfortunately, Manchester United look pretty good, and uh, I worry that they may be coming. To, we may be coming to the end of that golden era that we've all enjoyed very much, in which. Yeah, Manchester United are really bad. Um, and I got hundreds of replies of people being like, yeah, well, they're playing against Crystal Palace's B team. Um, preseason doesn't matter. You can't learn anything from these games, etc. And uh, yeah, I, I suppose we've seen these sorts of conversations before in the Leeds United space where people have said, give Rodrigo a few pre-seasons with Marcelo Bielsa and he'll be able to do exactly what it is that we've been claiming that he can't do. And uh, I'd say in the, in the main that never happened. But I, I'm kind of interested in like what are the things that you should or shouldn't expect from pre-season? Because I think there's a there's obviously pre-season is a different quality it's a different standard and it's a different it's a trying to achieve different things as well right you're you're trying to get players up to a, a level of fitness you're wanting players to get to a level of sharpness as well uh, but there are also tactical ideals that are going on in a pre-season and I think the fact that you can watch some some a team like Manchester United under a new manager like Eric Ten Hag and see clear tactical ideas that are being enacted repeated and are working and are functioning I think gives you a good sense that actually this season will be better for them than last season was where when their tactical system just didn't work. And uh, I think the same is true for Leeds. Like we're, the, What we saw at the end of last season was really poor. And what we're seeing now is at least you know tactical ideals that, that Jesse Marshall will want his teams to be in, ad- adopting, coming through a little bit more. Um, and so, I, I, yeah, that's sort of the context to which I, I was asking the question, like what are the things that we should look for in pre-season? What are the things that we can say on the basis of pre-season without just saying pre-season is different to regular season therefore we can't learn anything from it because I think that's equally as reductive yeah I think we can we could all agree for sure that um that the results that happen in pre-season are absolutely inconsequential but but Hobbsy there are things that happen on the pitch aren't there which which are more important than that so when you watch a pre a team in pre-season whether it be Leeds United or whether it be a different team what are the things that you're looking for I think as John saying like let's use the Leeds advantage um example don't know why i said advantage um but in 
in that case, I'm looking for our leads now trying to play uh, in the way that we have sort of established is how we expect um, a Jesse Marsh team to play. So looking for those kind of red ball principles, looking for the things that many of us have seen him talking about in his um, various YouTube presentations about tactics. Um, And an example uh, that I've been looking for and seeing quite a lot of is the fullbacks are now when they have the ball around halfway, they are not playing passes down the line, which we'd have seen all the time uh, under Bielsa. Um, We're now seeing them playing like diagonal balls into the middle, uh, looking for the uh, attacking midfielders, sort of rotating down into that space or to um or to the striker so that Leeds can then either attack from that central space or can counter press uh from that space and that's something that I think is becoming clear straight away uh, I think you're also looking for things like um the pressing patterns uh what are the triggers uh in pressing who are the the players that are leading the press uh what's effective where's it being broken so in the the Brisbane game for an example you could see like a clear weakness in Leeds which was basically that Brisbane were just able to bang it over the top uh, and turn Leeds's press quite a lot of the time um, so I think it's those kinds of tactical ideas although you're not going to see them in their like fully formed versions partly because you're seeing teams that are not necessarily at their strongest levels, um, you at least are getting an idea of what teams are trying to do. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think as much as it's about fitness, I think, and sharpness, um, it, yeah, it's it's about tactics. I think it, probably more so now because I, I don't think players are as unfit during the summer uh, as, as in previous eras, like, we know that everyone keeps themselves fit, even when it seems to be that when these guys have gone on holiday, they've taken personal trainers with them on holiday and, and, and coaches and stuff and done workouts in the morning and training in the morning and then gone and enjoyed the rest of their holiday. So they, they come back to training fit. It's just they come back perhaps not, not match sharp. Uh, and yeah, so I think it's more about tactics than it is about, about fitness. I think as well that we're seeing we're seeing much more intensity in pre-season games particularly in these pre-season games between Premier League sides that we're seeing in Australia in the US and uh, Southeast Asia as well and you know I think you can learn stuff from from that like okay the personnel may not be the strongest for each team's putting out but for for everyone saying that Crystal Palace aren't playing their strongest team Manchester United weren't playing the team that, that I think they would consider the strongest as well at times uh, we haven't been necessarily playing our strongest team from the start uh, and the teams that we've been playing haven't been playing their strongest sides either but there's still that intensity there and I think that is that makes a big difference I, I, I think in previous pre-seasons what we've seen is uh, an unwillingness to to commit too much and lots of you know a lack of intensity lots of walking around lots of space to attack stuff that we saw maybe against Blackpool in in that game that against other teams in the Premier League there is a little bit more bite there there is a little bit more intensity and and clubs are wanting to get up to that level that will make it 
Premier make them Premier League ready by the time the the season comes around. John Hobbsy mentioned a couple of things that he'd seen um, in the Brisbane and Aston Villa games. Um, I just wondered if you if you'd noticed anything any things in those games which you felt it was worth reflecting on from a tactical point of view. Yeah, I think against Brisbane we tried to be quite attacking. We went we were quite committal in terms of going forward and we left ourselves exposed at the back and I think we looked a little bit shaky at times in some of those defensive transitions which I think is interesting um, I don't know how many teams that we're going to come up against where we feel as though we should be the the dominant team or the team that's sort of taking the front foot in those games maybe not that many but um, it was interesting I think to to see um, how how open we were when we did try and dominate those games. Brisbane Raw sat quite deep. They tried to absorb pressure and then hit on the counter attack, and it actually worked out fairly well for them. Um, and and obviously when we played against Villa, then it was it was slightly different insofar as I think we were a little bit less um, gung ho in terms of going forward, and we were sitting deep trying to absorb pressure, and then and essentially doing the same thing the other way around that, that Brisbane Raw Raw were doing. So we'll we'll look to sort of win the ball back and and, and counter. Uh, attack from those sort of situations. Um, I think Josh is is right that the that definitely are positive signs in terms of the the Jesse Marsh system there. Um, I'm not maybe as positive about the press as a lot of other people because I don't think that. I mean, there are situations where we are causing problems from the press, but I feel as though they're maybe few and far between. And I think the the issue that I'm I'm almost having is that if there is this continued upward trajectory, then yes, I think you know we'll be fine in terms of generating enough chances for us to to win games and stay in in the league but uh, i suppose the big question is is like what is the line of trajectory like how is this the level that is is sort of peak marsh ball how much more improvement are we going to see from here um and as you know that i mean we can we can argue till the cows come home about what what is going to happen from here on in and it's largely conjectural but uh, i th- i think that what we're seeing now is pretty close to what where we'll be with a the added benefit of a little bit more match sharpness uh, and maybe a few better players being brought in further up the field. Um, so, for example, like we probably don't want to be playing Leif Davis at left back. We probably don't want to be playing Dan James anywhere. Um, but I think you bring those two players out and then you're sort of approaching the, the sort of peak level of what, what you can expect from this team. Um, and I suppose for me, the, the question is like how much of a problem are we going to cause teams in the Premier League? I've seen a few teams now actually be able to play through our press fairly comfortably uh, for the most part. And, it, and then it just becomes a sort of battle between how many chances do we cause through our counter press versus giving up um, opposition chances as well. And I suppose against Villa, it was a very balanced game and it could have gone either way. Um, so we'll, we'll treat that as a, as a positive, but um, I'm, I'm still interested to see what we're going to be like against teams maybe higher up the table. I think Villa, Villa had a bit of a miserable, end to the season they've lost um, Michael Beale um, and so it'll be interesting to see what sort of level they hit this season as well so yeah I'm, I'm sort of I'm sort of in the in the the kettle of fish whereby I have to accept that that we have you know we've turned around the the tactical side of things to play a system that I don't particularly find that um, impressive or, or uh, I mean, we could talk. We could talk about this maybe a little bit more detail, but it's a system that I don't think is necessarily that nice to watch. Which is obviously not important to Leeds. They they're wanting to play a system that works, keeps them in the Premier League. But my big question is going to be like, how effective is this system going to be once the season comes around? Um, we're definitely playing that system, so we've passed that level of the test. But now the next level of the test that needs to be answered is like, where does that put us in the pecking order of the Premier League? If that puts us 
like lower mid table and we've spent all the money that we've spent on a team then like is it really worth it is it not better to to introduce a style of football that we can maybe get more out of the players that we have uh that's a big that's a bigger meta question but that's sort of where i'm at now like i think we'll be fine next season i'm not particularly looking forward to having to watch that style of play but i think we, we're not going to go down next season i don't think there's any danger of that so sorry i've thrown a dump just a whole load of sort of ideas no <laughs> Actually, John, what you've done is you've provided me with an excellent link into the next section <laughs> of our podcast, which is that um, one of the things that I think really influ- will influence the things that you've just talked about and something that you've touched on in what you said, actually, is is I think one of the things that will, will decide how the season goes is how teams choose to set up against us and, and how they approach things tactically. So, Hobbsy, how do you think teams are likely to set up against Leeds in this coming season will will they kind of put the onus on Leeds to break them down knowing that that will leave space or will they just come and and try beat us because they're better, better than us by and large or you know will, will there be a obviously be a mixture of those things but how how do you see it kind of playing out in the general picture i think there'll be a hangover from last season and initially um where i think we were we were whipping boys um, you know, of the teams that stayed up in the division, <laughs> we were the worst. So, so I think they'll that could play into our favour a bit because I think teams are not going to come out and be like, "Well, we'll sit and counter against Leeds," because I think they'll think they can score a good number of goals against us. Um, that may not be the case anymore in in a, in our different way of playing. Um, but I think it will be interesting because I think John's said in a few different things um, that, and I think it is fair to say that this style of play doesn't necessarily make us very good at breaking down set defences. Um, so if teams did sit against us, we might struggle a bit more, especially with players like Brendan Aronson, who I think gets most of his upside um, in being able to run with the ball in space, um, it's going to be interesting to see how a player like him, if he's like a central part of our attack, how's he going to cope against more um, set defences? I'm not, I'm not sure yet. Um, even though I, I've liked what I've seen uh, of Aronson uh, so far, so I guess I'm, I'm saying that I think to start with. We're not going to have too much of that, but maybe if teams do start to think, hey, Leeds can't really create that much through build-up, um, they might just let us have the ball a bit. I don't know, but um, I know that's that's the fear that you have, isn't it, John? The, the worry I have is that against teams who are going to struggle in a transitional game, they'll actually get quite a lot of joy from just sitting deeper and then trying to hit us on the counter. Uh, and then the other thing is like the elite sides in the Premier League, I think they will just be able to play through our press. Um, and yeah, there's even some teams that I think, I mean, even Villa, I think we we pressed them quite well for the first 10 minutes of that game and caused them quite a few problems in that first 10 minutes. But obviously you can't keep up that sort of intensity of press. And so it drops down a little bit. And, and I, I guess I worry like, if you can't maintain that, maybe we will be able to maintain that sort of intensity for longer. But the the question then is like, are you getting any advantage in the long run um, if you're just you know allowing the opposition time and space on the ball, even if they're not generating much in terms of uh, in terms of attack, if they can just settle themselves, get 
time and space on the ball. If they have the ball, then theoretically they should be able to generate more chances than we do. I know that's not the principle of Gagan pressing. Like the idea of the Gagan press is that we allow them to have the ball and we win the ball back in situations which makes it easier for us to attack. Um, but I'm interested to sort of see how that that sort of the pressing aspect works in the Premier League because I just think so many teams now in the Premier League have so such elite ball players that that they can actually play through these presses much more successfully than uh, than for example teams in the Austri- Austrian Bundesliga. Um, so that's going to be a sort of uh, a thing that I'm keeping an eye on in the Premier League. To just counter that, it's it's interesting that I think maybe we would say that some of Salzburg's best Champions League performances under Marsh came against the bigger teams um, where they did really cause some problems with with their like almost caught them out with their intensity I don't maybe that just ha- happens easier uh, in um, in Champions League games where you're not playing the same opponents so so often and when it's the Premier League you know everyone knows about everyone and not that you know, not to say that Champions League teams don't have, you know, analysts <laughs> that will have been able to watch all of Salzburg's games. But I just think that there's something about that that happened. This definitely happened in our first season in the Premier League with Bielsa. I think a lot of teams underestimated what we could achieve. So it wouldn't surprise me if if we see the intensity catching some teams out. Um, and it it definitely, that, that's the upside of it. And it will, it, I think it will you know, we we do get the upside from it, which is why this sort of football exists. But I suppose for me, it's, it it does just come down to that it makes it makes the game chaotic, and that makes the game about luck to a to a certain degree, or to a lot greater degree than maybe other uh, teams' games. And I suppose the the question that I'm always going to have is, could we not play a, a a more controlled game that would would give us the upside there um, in the long run? But again, this is a meta question that I don't think we need to really ask at this point in time. Yeah. Can I ask a more specific one around like specific tactical things that we might be vulnerable to? So, John, um, what you know, at the end of last season, we saw quite a few things that Leeds were vulnerable to, particularly vulnerable in the wide areas, um, particularly vulnerable in transition at times, although not always, and then then perhaps not able to attack as well. So um, or as with as much process, I guess. So in terms of like this this coming season, do you expect the weaknesses that we saw at the end of the last season to carry through into this season, or do you think we'll see different ones? Yeah, it's a good question, I think. Um, I think the, the beauty of this sort of approach of football is that it's it's sort of lowest common denominator football, and I mean that not pejoratively. I think what what you're doing is you're trying to make the most of what you have and generate conditions that allow you to have maybe more of an upside, which I think is why, for example, if you look at Jesse Marsh's team's even in the Bundesliga when it wasn't working, but in the Premier League as well when it wasn't working necessarily last season, we would see massive swings in expected goals numbers, for example. So in some games, we'd see Leeds put up massive, you know, positive XG figures, uh, XG difference figures. And then some games we'd see the opposition do that as well. And I think that to a certain extent, that's just, you know, you take you take that risk, you accept that risk because it does generate these sorts of situations which allow you um, advantages that you might not have if you're just sort of sitting in a more compact 
um, you know, block of two block two block of two lines of four and and two strikers. I think the idea is that you're trying you're trying to generate a system. Of, so the elite teams, what they're trying to do is they they're trying to get players forward with the ball in dangerous areas. And the better the players you have, the fewer players you need to get forward because you're going to have more of a, an upside. When you're a team that's lower down the table, you don't have that um, that luxury. So I think the the Gagan pressing style does give you that it sort of allows you to uh, attack with fewer players but generate a sort of cha- chaotic game state that then allows you to generate space that you can then attack so um i i do think that that it, this is a legitimate way of playing i think it's a legitimate tactical way of playing and i think the good thing about it is that it means that you don't necessarily commit huge amount of players forward so you can defend as well um but yeah, there, there are those weaknesses that you've talked about in the wide areas. They they will be an issue, like because we are going to try and crowd the ball in certain situations. And if good teams can move the ball from one side to the other, then then those will be uh, issues that will recur um, through the fullback areas. And then, as I've said, the other thing is um, if you if you do get to a situation where teams accept that it's better for them to sit deep. Then what do you do? You you're, you you can't really play t- transitional football if the opposition are just sitting deeper. And Hobbsy, there might there might be some teams that might suit us uh, that that might suit us a little bit more in terms of styles. Styles make fights, right? So who who do you think the sort of teams are that we might be able to really get at with this sort of style of play? I do fancy us at some point in a in a game where we can counter on a team that that are uh, dominating us. I I I think you know I'm not saying we're going to suddenly like start beating the big boys. Uh, regularly because I, I I don't think that will be the case, but I do think maybe one of the those games this season this season and maybe a couple of them we might be able to get some wins on on counter attacks because I think we will really hone those sort of transitional attacks. I think I think we will manage to come out on top in a few games where it's just going to be those sort of like ding dong back and forth transitional battles um which funnily enough those were the games that we tended to come out on on, on top of um under Bielsa in the first season um it's just it will happen to be played out in a slightly different way um i think yeah like we've said those ones where someone might sit back against us not so sure but don't think that will happen too much and i think any team that's sort of not great uh, in their build-up, like I know John is right that a lot of um, a lot of the teams in the league have got really solid build-up players uh, now. But I think those teams that have just come up, um, I think they could be pretty susceptible to getting um, yeah under real stress from from our uh, our pressing. So I think that would be interesting to see and I'd I'd be interested to see how we'll play against teams like Palace um and and those other teams we've not faced Everton since uh since the managerial change for us so that's a team who I think they don't have great players in build up so that could be interesting we we might be able to cause them some problems even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think one of the things that's clearly happened over the summer is that, that we have improved the depth and and the quality, overall quality um, of our squad. And it just made me wonder, and John, you've already touched on this a little bit because you've talked about Marsha's as somebody who will ro- rotate his squad. So how has he tended to do that in, in the previous jobs that he's had? Has there, have there been any sort of patterns to follow or has it just been an, a case of kind of switching players in and out according to results? Or, yeah, how, how does he tend to do that? I know that he definitely does like to rotate and it, he certainly, what I knew from the Salzburg uh, team, at least the sort of first iteration of that team, um, was that he had those um, he had those sort of four forwards that he would sort of use um, like Huang, uh, Minamino, Daka, Holland. Like you would see all four of those on the pitch at the same time sometimes, but you'd also sometimes see two of them uh, up front and then uh, and the other two on the bench. There was also uh, Shobosly as well that that would come into that group. Uh, in I think that was more in the second season that he was there. Um, but he didn't tend to sort of like use all of those players all the time, um, just trying to fit them all into the team. He would rotate them. He would use one of them as an impact sub. And uh, you know, imagine having Holland like in your squad. You would want to. You would really want to be using him constantly, even at the age that he was at. But Marsh didn't do that. So I think it's interesting to see how he's going to manage this group now. I think I've seen quite a few people say, like, oh, actually, suddenly we've got quite a lot of attacking players and we're still going to add a striker. But I think I think we will maybe see them all getting fairly like similar minutes, perhaps. Um, rather than seeing like four of them get three thousand minutes and the others get a thousand, and that's going to be a big change for for Leeds fans, right? Because over the last sort of few years, we've been been conditioned to pretty much being able to predict with with a certain degree of certainty what what the starting eleven is going to be. So that's going to certainly be an adjustment. Um, period for us so John where in the where in the squad do you think we've got particular depth at the moment uh, I think we've got depth in the central midfield uh, so we've got a bunch of players you could play in the double pivot um, across the board I think even at, even at the youth level as well you've got players like I guess Lewis Bates moving on but we've got Darko Jabi as well who's uh, available to play there Archie Gray could play there and then you've got the two guys from last season in Click and Forshaw and then you've got Adams and, and Rocco as well so plenty of players who can play there I think in terms of forward options we'll have enough um, there'll be enough to rotate there and then the central uh, defensive 
options are like we have those four players who can play in those positions obviously um, there are players who will get injured and so maybe it won't look as as deep there as maybe it could um, and yeah the, I think I, we'll have five when you consider that when Ailing comes back true I think he's not going to be starting right back anymore and you could play so. Yelda there as well although we're starting to get into sort of Bielsa territory of, of covering all positions with a few oh, players. Oh yeah, yeah, right? no. I, I, I guess it partly with Ailing. I, it maybe it wonder. It depends on is is Drame staying around or is Drame the right back cover and is Ailing just taking on the old Berardi role in the squad where he's like emergency option. I think we pretty much got decent. Depth. I mean, the the fullback area is obviously um, the left back area particularly is is an issue. But the 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 forward area is maybe a little bit worrying as well. Uh, insofar as it feels like we've got a lot of similar profiles, but then not many backups to Bamford. Yeah, yeah. What are, what are your what are your thoughts, Hobbs? Particularly around where we're exposed in the squad. Well, the good thing is that I think that you know John's just said left back, which it seems like. It, there's a lot of talk at the moment like Leeds are evaluating options and thinking about what they're going to do. I'm sure that means they'll bring someone in. <laughs> like, surely, I think I think there will be head losses <laughs> if we don't sign sign a, a someone. It's been a while since we've had a good Hobbsy head loss. <laughs> like, I, not, I really look forward to that. Not just from me. I think a lot of people will be pretty surprised if there's not a left back in. Uh, and the striker, um, yeah, I, I think there will be another number nine type, whether they are sort of um, a Bamford, um, I don't know what the what the exact word is that I'm looking for here, but whether they will be Bamford-esque or not, I'm not sure. But I think like if it's someone like Callum Wendo, he, he is another striker. He just plays that role a bit differently. Uh, to to the way that Bamford plays it, um, I think for me that a gap that I see actually is um, someone with real quality on the right because I think our uh, our good attackers are sort of now it's going to be Aronson, it's going to be Sinistera. Um, both of those players are probably like Aronson will probably play centrally. But if he was to play on a flank, I think he's probably better on the left. Sinistera's better on the left. Uh, and then it's like James looks like maybe the starter on the right at the moment. Or maybe it's Rodrigo's moved over to there. Maybe Gelhark plays from there. Um, but it would be interesting to have another left-footed, right, right-sided attacker Um like not like Rafinha because we know Rafinha didn't end up really suiting this system, but someone that has some of those attributes. Um, so I think if Harrison did go rather than replace him with the, the similar type of player, I would be going right. Who's someone who plays from the right on their left foot. John, what do you think the, I'm going to ask you both this question, so I hope you've prepared your 11s. So, John, what do you think the formation and starting 11 will be on the first day of the season against Wolves? I think we'll go 4-2-3-1. I think it'll be Melier. Um, right back will be Rasmus Christensen. Left back will be someone. Um, <laughs> the centre-backs, I think, will be Robin Koch and I'm going to say Pascal Strauch. Why not? Uh, yes. And then you'll have Rocker and Adams. 
Uh, I think it would be Aronson in front of them and Harrison on the right and Sinistera on the left and then Bamford up front. Hobbsy? I think it could be that too because I think James is obviously out. He can't he can't play because he's suspended. Um, and my only thought is perhaps... Strout will end up left back, but I hope I hope it's not that. I think pre- I think by this point Davis will probably have been loaned to League One or something like that. Um, maybe uh, Hielda will will play left back, and it'll be Strout. I agree that he'll be centre back. So I think Cooper's not been fit for preseason so far, so I I think it would be unlikely that he would come in and and start the first game. Um. Yeah, I think it is that right side attacking position which we're not sure about, and I, th- I think Harrison's done some good stuff on the right in the past, so I think he makes the most sense there right now. Interesting, interesting. So it'd be good to see how those predictions play out. Um, I think that just about draws us to a close. Unless either of you got any other business which you would like to put forth. I have one thing, which is just that I realised as we were going that. Um, when we spoke about Patreon earlier, I didn't tell anyone where to go to, <laughs> so I should probably do that. Um, if you subscribed before, uh, it's not the the old one, so you need to go to a new URL. So it's www.patreon.com slash ASAW, not slash All Stats, aren't we? So if you went there and joined, uh, it would be much appreciated. Thank you. Excellent. Well, I think um, that just about brings us to the end of uh, today's podcast. It's been really good to catch up with you guys and to to chew the fat about what what preseason is looking like and and what it means for next season. So all that leaves me to do is to say thank you to John. Thanks, mate. And thanks to Hobbsy. Cheers. Take care, everyone. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 